reading Psalm 23 this morning. <clears throat> the Lord, the psalmist, the shepherd, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome. Having... David's words fresh in your minds, maybe it'll strike you surprising like it struck me. And I'm going to put this in the form of a, a board game, for, or not a board game, but a TV game for you. You've heard of Jeopardy, right? The people have the buzzers. There's the categories. You choose a category. You choose a dollar figure. I've never seen the Jeopardy category for people who don't know God, people who don't need God. Imagine a Jeopardy category, people who don't need God. And someone says, I'll buzz in and I'll take people who don't need God for $1,000. I feel like that would be King David. And yet here he is in this scripture that we've just heard saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Part of the reason that I'm struck that he doesn't need God is he was the king of a very successful, very militarily strong, very economically secure nation. He was the king. But more than just being the king, even take that away, you go back to his childhood, you go back to his teenage years, he was the youngest of several brothers in a family that owned sheep. And he was entrusted to go take care of those sheep and follow them around and make sure they get fed and nourished and all the rest. And so he's coming from some kind of prosperous family. I didn't get to see his tax documents last year, so I'm not exactly sure what his adjusted gross income is, but I think when your family owns sheep and they have many sons and all of the rest of that, like you're doing pretty well in life. And then I think I go back a little bit farther into his story and I start thinking, who is this God David that says the Lord is my shepherd? And I was reminded that when, when um, Goliath is attacking the army of Israel and he's battling them and Saul is the king at that point. David's not the king at that point. David's talking to Saul and David says, listen, I've been out in the field when a lion tried to attack my sheep. Anybody remember what David says? He says, I grabbed the lion by the mane and I killed it. Now, I don't know what you were doing this week, <laughs> but I mean, this is brutal, you know? My young kids have started watching this like mildly, you know, safe for children kind of wilderness adventure type show. And that guy, you know, to them especially, that guy, whoa, he's doing so much dangerous stuff. King, that guy has nothing. He's a joke. King David's like, I grabbed a lion by the mane and I killed it. And I was probably a teen, he was probably a teenager. You know what I mean? And he's like, this Goliath guy, who is he to defy the armies of the living God? God will destroy him. And David talks about a bear and killing a bear. Who, what kind of guy? I mean, talk about people who don't need God for $1,000. Like, David's it. You know, daily double. Like, go ahead and double up on this final jeopardy, you know? I mean, David's got it. You know, sometimes people think, well, religion, 
or spirituality, that's for weak people. That's for poor people. That's for struggling people. That's for the down and out kind of those, you know, people. They, that's what, that's, that, that's for them, you know. And I'm going, it's not what David's thinking. David's like, I'm a lion-killing, giant-slaying, wealthy guy who becomes king. And then I build the greatest nation, national success that Israel's ever had. And then he turns around and says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We've got to look into this. David's not weak. He's not poor. He's not a loser. And yet he says, I need a shepherd, and I've got one, the Lord. No human being has what it takes for every situation in life. Read a book a, few, a couple of years ago, and I'm maybe going to start another one soon by this guy named Jack Shatama. Jack Shatama says nobody gets the problem they can handle. Otherwise, they wouldn't call it a problem. I'm like, I like that. That sounds like my life every other week, you know. Nobody gets the problem they can handle. So David, it's got to be true for David somehow, even though he sounds like such an incredible human being. Somehow, though, he still needs a shepherd. Even lion killers, even kings, even sons of prosperous families need a shepherd. Now, who is this shepherd? I mean, if this is what David's talking about, if this is who David's talking about, who is this shepherd? Who is the Lord? Well, simply enough, not going to be a shocker to you, the Lord is the word in our English Bibles that comes from a Hebrew word, which is used about 4,000 times in the Old Testament. So it's over and over and over again saying there is a divine being who created the whole world, who brought the people out that would become the nation of Israel, led them out of slavery in Egypt, did all these great things throughout the Old Testament. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, 4,000 times. I'm not going to go through them all. He says all these things. What does that really mean for David, though? Because he comes after a lot of that stuff. He comes after creation. He comes after the Exodus. He comes after all these other things, after Goliath, right? All this stuff. He comes after this. What David is saying is... The God that Moses had at the burning bush, that's my shepherd. The God of Abraham who pointed out the stars in the sky and said, count them if you can, that's my shepherd. David is saying the God of Joshua and Caleb, the God who led them to the promised land and gave them that nation, gave them that land, that's my shepherd. The God of Noah who filled the earth up with water but graciously said, build a boat, bring your animals, bring your family, we're going to take care of you, that's my God who saved Noah. David knows Joseph's story, that his brothers threw him in a pit, he gets sold into slavery, he gets taken far away, his whole life gets destroyed in a way and disrupted, and his father's got all this unchecked grief that's not resolved because Joseph's gone. David says, the God who fixed all of that family stuff, the God who fixed all that stuff for Joseph, that's my God. David descended from Ruth. She was one of his great, great, great grandmothers. I forget how many, but there's a couple of greats in there. David says the God of Ruth who delivers people from famines and from death and from isolation and moving to new countries, that's my shepherd. David's praying to the God of the promised land, the God of the Exodus, the God of all these things, the God of Samson, the God of Gideon. He's praying to him and he's saying, that's my shepherd, the creator of the universe, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's my shepherd. David says in Psalm 23, that God, the God of all those people, all of those victories, all that wisdom, all that power, all that planning, that's my shepherd. That's my shepherd. That's who's in charge of my life. 
The Lord is my shepherd. Now we get to look at another word. David uses this little tiny word, my. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He shifts it from just all these other people and centuries and centuries of awesome deeds and things that we think are wonderful, like the exodus and the creation. He shifts it and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's personal. It's not just eternal. It's not just transcendent. It's every day for David. It's ordinary life. I found a helpful quote. There's a man named Tim or Timothy Laniac. He was a shepherd, and he wrote a book called Shepherds After My Own Heart. And he was trying to think, what's a shepherd about, and how do we understand shepherds? And he says this, In the ancient world, the metaphor of shepherding is often connected with a king's role as a just ruler, a benevolent provider, and a powerful defender. A just ruler, a benevolent provider, and a powerful defender. David's able to say, my shepherd, because a just ruler is going to know what's going on in the life of those that he rules. He's going to have understanding. This is what they're going through. Because he's just, he's in control, he's paying attention. A benevolent provider wants to know and knows what's going on. He cares for these people, so he knows what's going on. A powerful defender knows, this is who I'm helping This is who their enemies are. I'm for them, so I know who the enemies are. I know what the struggles are. I know what the situations are. I'm the benevolent provider, the just ruler, the powerful defender. Another person, James Montgomery Boyce, I liked what he said. He said, Jehovah, which is a name for God, Jehovah has chosen to be our shepherd, David says. The great God of the universe has stooped to take just such care of you and me. The great God of the universe has stooped to take just such care of you and me. Not just David, not just David, not just thousands of years ago. Right now, stooped to take care of you and me. When I was 11, my dad got a job at a factory. I come from a really small town in Tennessee, and it's one of those places where when there's a factory, this this may not happen too much on Cape Cod, or I don't know about Massachusetts, but one of those places where, like, there's a factory in the town, and that's where, like, pretty much everybody would hope to go to work. Some people feel led to go to college, and that's their choice. But a lot of other people would say, I'm just going into industry. I'm just going to the factory. And there's thousands and thousands of people working there. They had multiple huge buildings. I worked there at one point. My dad worked there from the time I was 12 until just a few years ago. He retired. So just like this tremendous influence on our life, great job for him. To the, I mean, to the day he left, he was like, this is the best job I ever had, without a doubt. He had no doubt. And I think this was true. You might have heard of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania had a place called Bethlehem Steel. In Baltimore, there's a suburb of Baltimore, Dundalk. They had a General Motors facility. It blew my mind. There was a General Motors manufacturing plant in Dundalk, Maryland. At one time, I was told it had 30,000 people in the building at like one time. You know, I'm just like, 30,000 people in the building. Well, these these kinds of jobs are security and opportunity for the people who work at them. It's like that, I mean, you, you, you know, the, the mindset is like, I'll get the job at Bethlehem Steel or General Motors or Denso. Like that's, that's, I mean, you're set. You get a job like that, you're set. And it could be other things. You go to school, it can be IT, it can be being a lawyer, doctor, whatever. There's all kinds of things. Run your own business. There's all kinds of ways you find it. I'm holding that out because we think of this, if we're honest with ourselves, that's kind of like a shepherd to most of us. Whatever that supply is it can be the factory or it can be some kind of phd or something like that but it's the supply for us it's what takes care of us it's what we look to we think this is my shepherd i got this great job i got this bright future i got this security from these people that i work for and with but david again encourages us there's something even better 
there's someone even more capable of creating security. The Lord is my shepherd. It's not my prosperous family. It's not my personal bravery. Like, yeah, I killed a lion. Yeah, I killed a bear. Yeah, I took on Goliath. I ran at him. It really is all true. But that's not my personal security. That's not what keeps me going. Years later, David's son, Solomon, would write something that proves that David had started to pass this on to his children. Solomon, David's son, wrote, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Solomon was getting it. Has this shift happened for you? Have you, have you gone somewhere from saying God is this distant creator who has power and wisdom and does great things, but, but he's my father? Has, are you on that progression? Are you, are you on that shift? Can you embrace the Lord as your shepherd in whatever life chapter you're in right now? Has the God of so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, all those people I named, all those miracles, all those wonderful things, has that God started to become your shepherd? Because David's not just saying he's the Lord. He's saying he's my shepherd. You can pay attention to the closeness of this shepherd. There's only one challenge, though. What about Job's troubles? What about Paul's troubles? What about Peter's troubles? What about yours? What about mine? Sounds really great to just be saying, the Lord is my shepherd, but if we actually read the Bible and take it seriously, we start to go, well, hold on a minute now. That's great if you're David, the lion-killing king guy. Like, he had upward mobility, to borrow our modern word. Like, his life was going somewhere, you know what I mean? He was rich to begin with, and he kills some bears, he kills a Goliath. Like, that's how you become a king. But there's some other people. Sure seems like they have downward mobility. Sure seems like things are going wrong direction for them. What about them? What is up with that? Well, Psalm 23 does not say, I do not want. It says, I shall not want. What's the difference? Well, everything. Because we don't know what was going on in David's life when he wrote Psalm 23. I don't know if he was looking back. I don't know if he's looking forward. I don't, think, I don't know if he, if he was down, if he was up. I don't know. His life overall shows us that he knew a lot of bumps in the road. He knew a lot of bad situations. And he doesn't say, I do not want or I have not wanted. He says, I shall not want. And around the world, go to YouTube, Go to different churches, read different books, podcasts, things like that. You can find people who will say, having the Lord as your shepherd fixes everything. Makes everything perfect. Healthy, wealthy, and wise. You know, like just things are going to be great for you. But I think we have to wrestle through Job, Paul, all these other things and say, I don't know that that always happens. I mean, Paul was in prison, beaten, stoned, thrown out, arrested, so much stuff. I mean, everything he did for God sort of ended because he's in a prison cell. Like that's, you know, unjustly, you know, hated because of Christ. It's hard to prove the healthy, wealthy, wise thing when we think about Jesus. 30 years old, we would call that the prime of life probably, starts out being the Messiah. Three years later, right, he's arrested unjustly, incarcerated unjustly, um, where like the, his case is adjudicated. I don't know there's uh, these words, but it's like a trial in the night, okay? That's what I'm saying. That's not like fair law-abiding practices, like has this trial at night, gets put away, gets crucified, 
this is not like a great outcome. His mother has already, all scholars would say, like Jesus' father's already out of the picture, Joseph's out of the picture. Like this is not smooth sailing for these people who've totally said yes to what God wants. Job, Paul, Mary, Christ, they functionally said, the Lord is my shepherd. And what did Christ say to them in these moments of their lives? Christ said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's how King David, on the run from his enemies, can say, I shall not want. John, Peter, Paul, Job, think of whoever you want, think of yourselves. All of them could eventually say, I shall not want. And you can too. Because David doesn't say, again, he says, I mean, here's the thing. God sees you in a place where you do want. God sees you in a place where you do want. And right there in that place, he says, come. Let me be your shepherd. And some of you probably did this 30 years ago or 25 years ago. You have a mental framework that says, well, I've already done that. But then new life circumstances keep coming. And Jesus keeps saying, I see your moment. Let me be your shepherd. I see your moment. Let me be your shepherd. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Choose me again. Choose me again. I love Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16. Ezekiel says, For thus says the Lord God, he's telling this to the people of God. He tells them, for thus says the Lord God, behold, God himself will search for his sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. In an everyday, ordinary, practical sense, the difference between I do want and I shall not want is everything. Because I do want. As we started worship, I acknowledged this morning, I woke up wanting. <laughs> you know what I mean? My belly wanted things. My spirit wanted things. Like, I woke up wanting. You know, and, a pro- and, and so it's just this part of life. There's a degree of that. I want all the stoplights to be green when I drive to work. <laughs> I want one more cookie, but I don't want the consequences. I really want, like, four more, but I don't want the consequences, right? That's how we approach life. There's, there's just want. And I've got wounds and life struggles. It's not just cookies, as funny as that is. There's wounds, there's life struggles, there's deep disappointments, there's things that have gone so off of what I think, at least, I wanted it to be like. How can I follow God with a heart like that when I'm wandering around like, I do want, I do want, I do want, I am disappointed, I am, you know. How do you follow God with a heart like that? How do I trust God and love him and build my life on his values when I've got those kind of feelings, those kind of urges, those kind of experiences? I have to embrace the truth. I have to meditate on the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Lord, I've got to say to myself, I shall not want. The future orientation of my life is that the shepherd means I shall not want. I do want, but I shall not want. I am unsatisfied, but I shall not want. I am currently not that thrilled, but I shall not. I'm at a red light, but I shall not want. You know, there are. Jesus makes it pretty clear as he talks about how he can be the only one to satisfy all our needs. He says there's really only two ways in life, only two paths that you can choose in terms of how you go through this world. There's a narrow way, he calls it, and there's a wide way. There's life inside the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve, and then there's life outside. They had both. We don't get both. We're just outside the Garden, and we're, we're stuck outside the Garden, as it were. Scripture says it's a flaming sword. Nobody's going back in. That's not going to happen for us. But Christ comes... Christ makes a new way, and he says, now you have two ways again. you got the narrow way, and you got the wide way. And he says, out here in the wilderness, you need a shepherd. 
and you need a good one. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And you will want, and you do want, and you will have troubles, but I have laid down my life for you, and I've overcome the world. Have you ever noticed that New Year's Day comes only a week after Christmas? Some of you are like, man, he has such profound thoughts. I've been looking at my calendar my whole life. And yeah, Christmas is December 25th, New Year's Day, January 1st. It happened last year. It happened just now. It'll happen again next year. Amazing, Ben. What struck me is that sort of the common way we experience December 25th is a whole lot of stuff and a whole lot of activity. And the message, if you know, at least in part, the message just kind of becomes get a lot of stuff, give a lot of stuff, have a lot of stuff, like stuff, just kind of being busy and stuff and more stuff and stuff and all of that that goes along with it. And then just one week later, the, the sort of cultural narrative changes completely to I'm going to lose a few pounds, get a new job, I'm going to change my life. And it just kind of leaves me wondering, well, now which is it? If I just sort of set aside, like if I just don't imagine any of this, I just end up thinking, well, which is it? Like, just get a bunch of stuff and don't worry about the future and just choose whatever sort of looks good and is fun? Or is it like, I'm going to be really mature this year. I'm going to get like a job. I'm going to clean my house once a week. I'm going to, I'm going to run every, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have less sugar. I'm going to, you know, start drinking decaf. Like, which is it? Are we like just enjoying the, whatever we can get? Or are we like being disciplined and like transforming our lives and fixing our problems and finally becoming that person we ought to be? Because both of these things come right on the heels of each other. And I just think that's super weird. It's just like two, like, it's no wonder that up here on January 7th, I'm like, which world do I live in? Because I've been through a washing machine over the last five weeks. And yet God says, let me be your shepherd. Let me be your shepherd. Let me change your life. Let me give you the gifts. And I'm not anti-Christmas and I'm not anti-New Year's. I'm just saying. The Lord says, let me be your shepherd. Let me be your shepherd. The last reason that you shall not want is you have a precisely tender shepherd. You have a precisely tender shepherd, a very caring, very attentive shepherd for you. He's a good shepherd, and he says, look, anybody who chooses me as shepherd, he will not want. She will not want. Young people will not want. Older people will not want. Those who actually did like their New Year's thing will not want. Those who did it for like 17 days and then, you know, didn't, they will not want. They will not want. Revelation 7, 17 says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne, this is talking about Jesus, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How precise is that? How tender is that? How personal is that? Every tear every tear not just some of them like we have kleenexes around here which i think is pretty nice but god is going to stoop so low just like that quote from boyce i read earlier jehovah's going to stoop so low that he goes around with the kleenex and says let me get that one. Oh, you got another one let me get that one too will you keep letting him shepherd you will you receive him when he finds you will you surrender your choices to him and lean not on your own understanding 
man, I've got an urge to lean on my own understanding. He says, let me shepherd you. Let me shepherd you. He sits in the midst of a throne. He's wiping the tears, but he's also sitting in the midst of a throne saying, I know where the living water is. I did it with the Exodus. I did it with the burning bush. I did it with Abraham under the starry sky. Let me guide you to springs of living water. You will not want. How will you know that you've applied Psalm 23? Well, it's what happens at 3 in the morning, of course. This week, one of my beloved family members decided that waking me up at 4.08 a.m. was a great idea. Now, I don't mind an early morning, but then there's 4.08 a.m. Like, there's early mornings, and there's late nights, and then there's 4.08 a.m., which is just kind of not a time, okay? Maybe for some of you, 4.08 a.m. is a time. For me, 4.08 is not a time. 4.08 is like forgiveness is due, okay? But 4.08 a.m., lo and behold, someone's interested in my company. Someone's interested in my world. I couldn't go back to sleep. I laid there blustered and flustered and worried and anxious. And I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes I just like wake up and go back to sleep. But other times I just wake up and I do not go back to sleep. I toss and I turn and I worry and I fret and I'm frustrated and emotions and, you know. And then I'm like, I just want to check out. I don't want to name emotions right now. I don't want to journal right now. I don't want to get up and eat the cookies right now. I just want to like just, can I not just, it's in those moments. Psalm 23 is where I start to go. I, I need to start saying the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I think it's in those moments when we can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's not that I'm not wanting <laughs> at 4.08 in the morning, but I have to start telling myself, oh, I shall not want. Let me turn this over to him. Let me act like a disciple who's actually turning everything over just like Jesus did. Let me actually turn it over instead of just rolling around in my bed. Or instead of being angry at somebody else or whatever else is going through my mind at the time. And for you, there's other things that probably won't happen at four in the morning. There'll be a situation at work that is unexpected or it's long expected and not that pleasant. <laughs> and you've been hoping, you know, to kick a can down the road or like, let's just fix that problem or everything's just getting thwarted. And there's these moments in our life where the Lord is saying, you can't fix it. Or you can, but not yet. Or you're going to figure it out, but it's hard. And in those moments, we have to press in and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because the only other choice is you are your own shepherd. Or some other group of people is your own shepherd. And Christ holds himself out to you and says, I can do better than they can do. I can do better than they can do. I love them. They're good. They're smart. Nice degrees, a lot of business experience, whatever. But let me handle this one. Let me handle this one. And for you, you can tell yourself, I shall not want, which helps you go, whoo, whoo, shall not want, shall not want. You might find yourself saying, I don't have any of these hardship questions. I'm King David. <laughs> Maybe without the lion killing part, not the king of Israel. Obviously, we know that's not true right now. But you might in that, be in that situation and yet say, I've got all that stuff that seems so figured out. I might not be $1,000 on Jeopardy or the Daily Double, but I'd be $800 for people who do not need God. I'd be $600 category for people who do not need God. But when you're alone, when you're getting ready for work in the morning or driving down the road, when you're alone, you might be going, man, I'm really disappointed. I'm really disappointed. This is not the life I was looking for. I got everything I should have. Things should be pretty good. I should be smiling. I should be happy, but I'm inwardly pretty upset. Things look right on the outside, but everything's wrong on the inside. It's in those moments that the shepherd, Christ, would like to give you 
a new reason, a new path to where you end up saying, I shall not want. Because all you do is want, and yet you have everything. You can end up being like, I'm worrying, I'm running out of hope, but I shall not want. It's 4 a.m., I'm tossing and turning, but I shall not want. I'm worried, I can't let go of my stuff, but I shall not want. I'm rich, but I'm disappointed. I seem to have it all together, but I'm despairing, but I shall not want. What will you do when you lack or when you think you will lack? What will you do in those moments? Some of you are scared to obey God, scared to trust Christ with something. Maybe in that moment you say, I won't be afraid. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In those moments, I think you're going to have to pray the truth. You're going to have to feel the truth. You're going to have to meditate on the truth. You're going to have to pray the truth. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. And I'm big on making the Psalms personal. Now, these are scriptures. This is God's word. So that's my conviction as I'm up here preaching it. But I'm also big on making the Psalms personal because at some point in David's life, on some level, I'm not smart enough to explain it all to you, but on some level, David was really praying this. He wasn't saying 2,000 years from now at 11.15, we're going to be trying to get through the sermon and hoping it ends soon. And by the way, like, I'll tell these people Psalm 23. That'd be good. That'd be good. So, and God, the Holy Spirit, preserve it, keep it safe. Here we go for you this morning in Hyannis. Now, that happened in a casual way. I'm being a little silly with you. But that happened on the side of this being God's word. But at the same time, David was sitting there before the Lord saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord's my shepherd, and I'm big on making the Psalms personal. So he's speaking from his heart. He's using language. He knows he's a shepherd. He gets it. He's taken care of sheep. He's fought the lions, all that stuff. I'd encourage you this week, and we're going to even take time right now and do just a little bit of it, but I encourage you this week, what if you prayed to God with your own personal awareness? Most of the time, I think it'd be great for you to use the names of God in the Bible, to use the language of the Bible, to, to be, you know, it's there to instruct us. That's really helpful. Maybe one day this week you'd take some time. Maybe this morning you'd take some time and say, the Lord is my shepherd. But you might also have some other totally different, like, frame of reference that just makes a lot of sense to you. The Lord is my root six. The Lord is my GPS. The Lord is my whatever. I don't know. It's got to make sense to you. It's got to come from your heart. And it's got to be at that moment when you're like, wow, I'm really wanting right now. I'm really wanting. The Lord is my coffee, like my good coffee. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to be cute about scripture. The word says the Lord is my shepherd. I'm trying to say to you, maybe, maybe, maybe there'll be a point this week, maybe a point this morning when you say, let me just be honest with God. The Lord is my Apple computer, you know? The Lord, like, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting you, and I'm trying to find the best way I can to say that. I'd encourage you to do that. It may strike you a little strange, but I think it's a way for you to pray with personal awareness. And we're going to close with a song. And as we do that, I'm just going to take a few minutes to invite you to pray however you want. You can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You can get creative in terms of how you know God. But let's pause before the Lord. We'll worship him, speak to him from your heart. He'll speak to you from his. Lord, we do come before you. I call you Lord because it's a word I see all the time in the Bible, but honestly, it's, it's what I desire to be reminded of this morning, that you are the Lord. I appreciate how personal you are. I appreciate how creative you are. 
And what springs to my mind is even that, that you said, let the little children come to me. So I'm just going to call you Father as well. The Father who welcomes us in. The Lord who is our shepherd and our Father. Our leader and our guide. Just pray for my dear brothers and sisters as we rest before you. May we know you as you are. And may we speak to you as we are.
The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. Father, some of us seem like the kind of people who, on the outside maybe, look like we don't need you. But on the inside, we do. And some of us on the outside look like we need you and on the inside think we don't. But the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. We surrender to you. We submit to you. You know better than we do. Wherever we are this morning, we just thank you so much for being a good shepherd, for being so patient, for being so loving. We thank you for your promises. They are the anchor of our souls. They are the anchor of our souls while we paddle our boats, the anchor of our souls while we drift. And even if we're driving a yacht with a giant engine, or if life looks like it, the reality is you are the anchor of our souls. And just like what Rich read in Scripture, you are the creator and the sustainer of all things. In you, all things hold together. And we're holding on to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.